Hello everybody, this is Kia from Wicked Majesty and you are listening to Tea and Terror Podcast, the show that entertains with true and fictional stories from beyond the grave for people who love horror. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another night of terror and classic macabre on Tea and Terror Thursdays. I am your host, Kia Reed. If you are new here, welcome to the Wicked Majesty channel. I post horror stories, gothic tales, and creepy pastas that would get your blood rushing and nightmares beyond your imagination. If you are a returning subscriber, thank you very much for watching my videos and subscribing. Definitely help my channel flourish and I greatly appreciate it. Tonight I will be reading part two of The Striding Place by Gertrude Atherton. If you make it through the entire episode and you like what you heard tonight and you're listening to the podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcast, or SoundCloud, then please share the Tea and Terror podcast with others and add it to your playlist. If you are listening from my Wicked Majesty YouTube channel, please hit that like and subscribe button. Thank you all so much. Now on with the story. I cherish the theory that the soul sometimes lingers in the body after death. During madness, of course, it is an impotent prisoner, albeit a conscious one. Fancy its agony and its horror. What more natural than that, when the life spark goes out, the tortured soul should take possession of the vacant skull and triumph once more for a few hours while old friends look their last. It has had time to repent while compelled to crouch and behold the result of its work and it has shrived itself into a state of comparative purity. If I had my way, I should stay inside my bones until the coffin had gone into its niche, that I might obviate for my poor old comrade the tragic impersonality of death. And I should like to see justice done to it, as it were, to see it lowered among its ancestors with the ceremony and solemnity that are its due. I am afraid that if I dissevered myself too quickly, I should yield to curiosity and hasten to investigate the mysteries of space. You believe in the soul as an independent entity, then, that it and the vital principle are not one and the same. Absolutely. The body and soul are twins, life comrades, sometimes friends, sometimes enemies, but always loyal in the last instance. Some day, when I am tired of the world, I shall go to India and become a Mahatma, solely for the pleasure of receiving proof during life of this independent relationship. Suppose you were not sealed up properly and returned after one of your astral flights to find your earthly part and fit for habitation. It is an experiment I don't think I should care to try unless even juggling with soul and flesh had palled. That would not be an uninteresting predicament. I should rather enjoy experimenting with broken machinery. The high, wild roar of water smut suddenly upon Weagle's ear and shed his memory. He left the wood and walked out on the huge slippery stone, which nearly closed the river wharf at this point, and watched the waters boil down into the narrow pass with their furious, untiring energy. The black quiet of the woods rose high on either side. The stars seemed colder and whiter just above. On either hand, the perspective of the river might have run into a rayless cavern. There was no lonelier spot in England, nor one which had the right to claim so many ghosts, if ghosts there were. 
Winkle was not a coward, but he recalled uncomfortably the tales of those that had been done to death in the stride. Woodsworth's boy of Egerman had been disposed of by the practical Whitaker, but countless others, more venturesome than one, gone into the narrow boiling course, never to appear in the steel pool a few yards beyond. Below the great rocks, which formed the walls of the stride, was believed to be a natural vault, onto whose shelves the dead were drawn. The spot had an ugly fascination. Wiggle stood, visioning skeletons, uncoffined in green. The home of the eyeless things, which had devoured all that had covered, and filled the rattling symbol of man's mortality, then fell to wondering if any one had attempted to leap the stride of late. It was covered with slime. He had never seen it look so treacherous. He shuddered and turned away, impelled despite his manhood, to flee the spot. As he did so, something tossing in the foam below the ball, something as white yet independent of it, caught his eye and arrested his step. Then he saw that it was describing a contrary motion to the rushing water, an upward backward notion. Weagle stood rigid, breathless. He fancied he heard the crackling of his hair. Was that a hand? It thrust itself still higher above the boiling foam, turning sideways, and four frantic fingers were distinctly visible against the black rock beyond. Weagle's superstitious terror left him. A man was there, struggling to free himself from the suction beneath the stride, swept down doubtless, but a moment before his arrival, perhaps as he stood with his back to the current. He stepped as close to the edge as he dared. The hand doubled as if imprecation, shaking savagely in the face of that force which leaves its creatures to immutable law. The spread wide again, clutching, expanding, crying for help as audibly as the human voice. Weagle dashed to the nearest tree, dragged and twisted off a branch with his strong arms, and returned as swiftly to the stride. The hand was in the same place, still gesticulating as wildly. The body was undoubtedly caught in the rocks below, perhaps already halfway along one of those hideous shelves. Weagle let himself down upon the lower rock, braced his shoulder against the mass beside him, then leaning out over the water, thrust the branch into the hand. The fingers clutched it convulsively. Weagle tugged powerfully, his own feet dragged perilously near the edge. For a moment he produced no impression, then an arm shot above the waters, 